Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. Okay, welcome everybody. We will get started. Um, anybody that's joining us for the first time tonight, welcome. We're uh, in, the, in a series of um, talks on the Refuge Recovery book. My name is Noah Levine. I'm the founder of Refuge Recovery. And we spent the first um, three months or so going through the um, practice and philosophy of Refuge Recovery's Four Truths and Eightfold Path of Recovery. And um, now we're in the uh, practice of meditation, the uh, guided meditations that are done at every refuge recovery meeting. Uh, week by week, I'm gonna take you through the guided meditations right out of the book. Um, I'm not going to freestyle, I'm going to share the instructions that you share with each other uh, at the meetings. And um, then we'll have an opportunity to meditate together and have some discussion. We're still on the first foundation of mindfulness. Um, last week, we started this meditation series with mindfulness of the breath. And tonight, we continue the first foundation with mindfulness of breath and body, where we begin to expand from the narrow focus solely on the breath to a more embodied awareness of uh, our physical being. So I think let's just jump in, uh, find a way to sit, and we'll begin the meditation. Mindfulness of the breath and body. Find a comfortable way to sit. Close your eyes and relax your body. Bringing attention to the sensations of breath, continue redirecting the attention to the breath each time it wanders. Try to be as friendly and kind as possible to your mind's tendency to wander.
If you are new to meditation, continue focusing the attention on the breath. If you feel ready, begin to expand the attention to the whole body. Bring attention to your posture. Feel the pressure of your body on the cushion or chair. Feel the contact points of your hands touching your legs or resting in your lap. Direct the attention to the sensations of sitting. With the foundation of present time awareness as established by the continual returning of the attention to the breath and body, you can now allow the attention to expand to include all of the sense doors. Begin with the awareness of hearing. When you become aware of a sound, simply pay attention to the experience of hearing the bare experience of sound being received by the eardrum. Although the mind wants to instantly name the object being heard, the direct experience is just variations of sound. Using memory and conditioning, the mind immediately tries to label the sound as a car passing by or the wind in the trees. In this level of practice, try to see the difference between the direct experience of sound and the mind's conditioned labeling of the experience. Keep it simple. It's just hearing. Expand your attention to seeing, tasting, and smelling in the same way. Just seeing and the direct experience of what's being seen, color, shape, form, and so on. Just taste, just smelling. Notice how quickly the mind names and classifies things based on memory. This level of mindfulness allows us to see how the mind is constantly trying to sort and name experiences based on memory, rarely allowing for new or fresh perspectives.
the attention gets drawn back into thinking, simply return to the breath. Then continue to extend mindfulness to the direct moment-to-moment -moment sensory experience of the whole body. Allow the attention to be drawn to whatever experience is the, in the body is predominant. When sounds arise, know them as hearing. When visions arise, know them as seeing. Don't settle for the mind's labels and conventions. Experience each moment as if it were the last sensation of its kind ever. Bring a childlike interest and curiosity to your present time experience. What does this moment feel like? What is the temperature, texture, or pressure of this sensory experience? Continue to connect the attention with the felt sense of the breath and body. Begin refining the attention to the moment-to-moment -moment flux of sensations. Investigate the constantly changing nature of each experience. With clear comprehension, receive the transient phenomena with non-judgmental awareness. Attempt to sustain awareness of the arising and passing of each chosen sensation. Continue redirecting the attention and reconnecting with the present moment each time the attention is drawn back into the contents of the thinking mind. Attempt to rest in the direct experience of the breath and body, relaxing into the present time awareness of impermanence.
When you're ready, you can allow your eyes to be open. That's the end of the instructions for that meditation. So I'll share a couple of reflections. One, and I think that this is always a um, important inquiry and, and uh, part of the conversation, which is how is this meditation going to help us with our recovery? What are the practical benefits from mindfulness, mindfulness of the breath as we start with this narrow focus, few minutes of just be with the breath, come back to the breath, and then this expanded awareness of the sense doors. Um, and and in, in some ways, although this is breath and body, uh, these instructions are inviting us to be with hearing and seeing, smelling and tasting, and also thinking uh, as we watch uh, how our mind labels and we watch how we, uh, based on memory, create a story about the sound. Um, and then of course, there's, there's more going on as the meditation instructions continue. We'll see that not only is there a sound or an image or a uh, smell or a taste, there's also a feeling tone to it. So then we have a story of that's a car and my perception of it is that it's unpleasant, it's a distraction, it's an annoyance. Um, or we can, when I was meditating, I could hear my children in the other room. Um, and then the pleasant uh, experience of associated with, with hearing movement or laughter or... Um, but the bare attention, present time, non-judgmental awareness to sound, to sight, to smell, to taste. This will serve us in, um, in a lot of ways, one, and one of the ways is that we start to see the impermanent nature as we open up. We see the impermanent nature of every sound arises and passes, every image changes, every smell, every taste, every sensation in the body. And of course, the breath itself is such a great teacher of impermanence. And we observe this and we experience this and we receive this. And the more we come to understand impermanence, the more it wakes us up to that, that uh, in our addictions and our cravings and our obsessions and our delusions, whatever we get hooked in, we start to understand they're impermanent. This thought will arise and it will pass. And it's possible to just sit here and let that sound come and go and let that thought come and go and let that sensation arise, sustain and dissolve. So impermanence key intervention to the addiction process, arising and passing. Often we relapse, we use, we act out in some unskillful way because we're um, not being patient. We don't wanna wait for the pain to pass. We don't wanna wait for an appropriate pleasure to <laughs> come. We wanna create pleasure, we wanna avoid pain. So in that way, this first uh, aspect will help us so much in our recovery. It'll teach us to, to be with and to be with the impermanent nature. And then also there's something here as we watch the mind about how we see, uh, how it just does whatever it wants. It just comments. We, we say, okay, we're going to observe the body and we're going to receive what's happening. And then your mind is still making plans or judging or comparing or, um, you know, in this meditation also there's this way in which there's no such thing as a distraction. And so the more we meditate on the sense doors and the body, the more we see meditation, mindfulness is something that we can bring into all of our activities because there's no distractions, just sounds and sights and smells and tastes and sensations and emotions and thoughts. The whole human experience right here as our non-judgmental investigative awareness, our curiosity to what's happening as it happens. Um, it's a commonly held confusion amongst people that um, you can be distracted during meditation, that you need an ideal, silent, quiet, 
uh, place to meditate. But the reality is in this kind, in the Buddha's teachings on mindfulness, there's no such thing as a distraction because it's all happening right now. Those sounds are happening right now. Those thoughts are happening right now. All of the sensations in the body are happening right now. And our job is to pay attention to what's happening right now and hopefully begin to meet it with more compassion, more understanding, less um, uh, aversion. So in those ways, I feel like these are uh, so supportive of our recovery. And then, you know, the more we meditate, the more wisdom we develop about how the mind works, how craving, you know, happens all by itself and how it's impermanent. And uh, we develop more renunciation, more ability to sit with what's happening uh, rather than reacting, more of this uh, response uh, ability, this ability to respond wisely to what's happening as it's happening. These instructions reminded me, uh, and I'll try to try to be concise and, and brief about this, but reminded me of a story from the time of the Buddha. It's a sutta called uh, Bahia of the Bark Cloth. Bahia was a contemporary um, to Siddhartha Gautama, to the Buddha. He um, uh, had, a, had a following. He was a, a kind of a guru, a, a sage. He was a, um, a meditation teacher, whatever he was. And, um, but he lived far away from, from the Buddha. The Buddha was in sort of north central uh, India. And I think he was out on the coast, like by Calcutta. But he had heard about the Buddha. And internally, he had some doubt. He had a lot of followers and he was thought to be an awakened being. But he wasn't quite sure. He was kind of had this internal, like, am I awake or am I fully liberated or not? He, he said, but I heard about this guy, the Buddha. Um, who is rumored to be fully enlightened. So I want to meet him and I want to get some teachings. I want to see if it matches up with my own direct experience where my own practices have brought me. So he travels, you know, for days, weeks on foot as they were doing in those days, especially the wandering monks, spiritual practitioners. And he finally catches up with the Buddha, but he catches up with the Buddha right uh, before midday and uh, Siddhartha is out on alms round. He's out as he did every day, going into the villages, uh, begging for lunch and allowing the villagers to come and put some food in his bowl and give him his daily meal. So Bahia appro approaches the Buddha and says, um, I've come a long way, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I revere you, I've heard good things about you and I'd like to receive a teaching. And the Buddha says, um, welcome Bahia, but not now because I'm busy. <laughs> I'm on alms round right now. Um, after I finish this and you know, have my midday meal, uh, I'll be happy to meet with you later. And Bahia is insistent. He says, but uh, Buddha, um, everything is uncertain. And uh, you know, I, I feel an urgency that if I don't get the teaching now, I might not ever get it. I've come so far, can you please give me the teaching right now. And the Buddha says, um, no, not right now. I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm, do, I'm doing some shit right now. It's lunchtime. Uh, you know, give me a minute. And Bahia refuses to accept that. And, you know, he's pushy. And again, third time, he says, but, uh, you know, beloved, you know, teacher, you know, everything is uncertain. And I just, I feel this urgency if I don't get this teaching right now. I'm, I'm afraid that uh, the, the opportunity will pass. Just give me just a, a brief teaching, anything. Just share some of your Dharma with me. And the Buddha uh, finally, and, and the way these stories goes is, is that if you ask a Buddha three times in a row that they're not allowed to refuse. <laughs> so maybe Bahia knew that, so he asked him three times. And, and, um, and the Buddha says, okay, Bahia, I'll give you a very brief teaching, but this is all you need. This is all of the Dharma can be summed up in this teaching. He said, um, there is only hearing and what is heard. There is only seeing and what is seen. There is only tasting and what is tasted. There is only thoughts 
arising and and what is that um there's only smelling and what is smelled so he goes through the sense doors and he says that it's just the experience itself there is no i me or mine there's no seer there's just seeing there's no hearer there's just hearing there's no thinker there's just thoughts arising and passing there's no permanent solid self to be found in this human experience and the light bulb goes on and bahia gets it he's like yes thank you beloved buddha and the buddha says okay uh, you know if you still want to chat later i'll be around <laughs> and goes away all along on his alms around and bahia walks off uh, having attained arahantship gotten the teaching seeing through the impermanent impersonal unreliable nature of existence he's a fully awakened being and right then a rabid cow stampedes through the village barely misses the buddha and runs over bahia and kills him an enlightened being and uh you know the the teaching uh both uh, shows that the Dharma can be quite simple. Um, we don't have to overcomplicate it. And it also shows uh, the urgency and, and the wisdom of Bahia's uh, death is certain, but the time of death is uncertain. Get the teachings now, apply them now, don't put it off. So with that, <laughs> I will open up to some discussion about uh, mindfulness uh, and especially uh, on topic tonight about the sense doors and how the mind, based on memory, likes to label everything and create a um, sense of security uh, based on the past and that it's quite difficult to train the mind to just be present with what is, just seeing just hearing. Um, and lastly, maybe, um, and I, I said this already, but I want to reiterate the um, possibility that we could be with any sound without suffering about it, no matter how unpleasant it is. It could be a meditation object, any sight, any smell, any sensation in the body that we actually can be at ease in the midst of what's happening if we're relating to it wisely and this is one of the meditations that's going to teach us to be at peace with what is i was listening to a dharma talk from my teacher ajahn amaro earlier today and he he got a question he was doing a q a and one of the questions that he got was um uh how should i deal with my neighbor who's making all of these annoying sounds and when is it appropriate to confront somebody who's an annoying you? <laughs> and when is it just our practice to accept it? And I don't remember his full answer, but the piece that stuck with me the most was he quoted his teacher, Ajahn Chah, saying, um, uh, there is no such thing as an annoying sound. The sound does not annoy us we annoy the sound <laughs> it is all in our reaction it is all in how we receive and respond to what's happening whether it's a sound or a sensation or an emotion and that we actually have the ability through meditation to accept oh it's just sound oh it's just a uh, sensation and we can train our minds and our hearts to open to what's happening with more and more acceptance, more and more compassion, more and more sober presence. So with that, I'll open it. If there's any questions about these meditation instructions or anything that I've said, or any questions that you have about refuge recovery, happy to uh, share some of my views and opinions and um, be a resource. So you can raise your hand in the chat function.
Tess, I see your comment about somebody grinding trees outside while you were meditating. How fortunate for you to have that opportunity <laughs> to be with that sound. And really, like if we can reframe what often we think of as like, oh, this is an annoyance of, oh, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to see my mind. This is an opportunity to be less reactive, to be more patient and more tolerant and more compassionate. The more we develop that, the more likely we are to stay sober when life gets really difficult. Get good at being with the little discomforts so that when the big discomforts come, we have more compassion for them. Loretta, I will call on you. You can unmute yourself. Hi, thank you. Uh, I wasn't sure if there were any rules for questions. It sounds like there's not. No, what are um, you gonna ask? Go ahead. Okay, all right. Um, so uh, I'm new to this and uh, I, I like the ideas. Um, uh, I'm having some difficulty in my own personal renunciation of some behaviors. Um, should it, Do you think I should try to work through the questions as as part of that, or should I wait until I'm able to do that to, to work through the questions? Um, so does it make, make, let me make sure I understand the question. Is the question, should you or should we be fully abstinent before we do the inventory? Yes. <laughs> That's the more concise way of saying it. Uh, um, now, is this like uh, you're abstinent from some things, but not other? Or is this the primary yes. addiction we're talking about or secondary or? I mean, um, I, I'm, I'm dual addicted. So one of the primary addictions. Uh -huh. You know, there is a, there is, you know, we were looking at this the other day where um, there is a suggestion in early in the book that says, uh, first establish abstinence and start your meditation practice. Uh, I would also say like, you know, establish your meditation practice, even if you haven't fully established abstinence, um, you know, abstinence being if it's a process addiction, your own bottom line, right, you deal with that, um, and begin meditation. And it says, um, you know, do that for the first couple of months, uh, and then start to work on your inventory to uh, with the, the thinking uh, behind that was, you know, establish some foundation for sobriety, um, with your meditation practice, with getting involved with the community, um, connecting with the other people, going to the meetings, developing that support, because the inventory dives pretty deep and it's going to bring up some difficult stuff and it's going to bring up some pain and it's going to ask us to face um, some discomfort that we want to have a strong foundation of abstinence so that that discomfort doesn't we don't use that as an excuse Trigger. To, yeah, to, to relapse. Um, okay, that's helpful. Okay, I hope that's helpful. Thank you. And, um, and for sure, keep the meditation, keep, the, keep coming to meetings, whether you're being fully abstinent or not, okay. all are welcome, like for sure. Uh, and for some people, and we hear these stories of people who are like, I just kept you know, relapsing and it was so hard, but I kept coming to meetings and eventually it stuck. Um, so for sure, uh, participate. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was hoping for. Yes. James. Hi, thank you for the uh, meditation and the reading. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Great. Um, it's funny. It's, uh, my first morning meditation is always the best meditation because it's very early in the morning and it's very quiet. It's very peaceful and serene. And I live in a kind of wooded area, Berkshire Hills in Western Massachusetts. So it is, it's wonderful. And then um, the evening meditation such as this was, um, I felt almost like a test <laughs> because, uh, you know, a 14 year old boy stampeding through the house upstairs, shaking the house, and my cat next to me with wonderful purring, but still an annoyance. Uh, I actually had to, at one point, um, quiet the noise. And I don't mean in, uh, in my mind. I mean, I physically went upstairs and said, I really need some quiet. And as soon as I came back down and closed my eyes, um, you know, the word impermanence came up. And the lesson of impermanence came up. 
and I was able to close my eyes and focus on my breath and focus on the guide itself. Um, but ultimately, uh, come to the realization that this is a practice and a lesson has been learned. And at the moment, I feel truly grateful for the practice and the lesson learned and more to come. So thank you. Thank you, James. And um, you're not alone. I mean, of course, we all prefer the pleasant, quiet um, meditations where it's like it's ideal and it's quiet. And there's something wonderful about that. And I don't want to create any judgment about those early morning meditations. It's suggested by most Buddhists that it's ideal to meditate at dawn. Um, partially, I think that because the world is so quiet, it sometimes you can see your mind more clearly and you can get more concentrated. Also, I think partially that suggestion is because that's when the Buddha got enlightened. It was like at dawn after he'd been sitting, you know, all night and at dawn kind of liberation came. So there's something special about meditating when the world is quiet. Um, and my own opinion is there's also something uh, missing when we're not quite good at being patient and tolerant and, and mindful in the midst of the chaos of the teenagers pounding around the house. And, um, you know, truly in every uh, teaching after every mindfulness foundation, the Buddha says, now bring this present time, non-judgmental, investigative, kind, curiosity, mindfulness, present time awareness into all of your activities, not just when the world is quiet, not just when we have a rarefied experience on a meditation retreat, but out into the streets, out into the office, out into the chaos of our home life, wherever it is, mindfulness. So something very useful. And I know you got that. Uh, for this. And I'm, I'm glad you did. I'll, I'll share one other thing is that when I was in my early 20s and I went to um, Asia for the first time and I went to Thailand and I went to Burma and I went to India and Sri Lanka and I did this whole pilgrimage. Um, and I can remember going on this trip feeling like, okay, I'm going to like where Ajahn Chah was. I'm going to where Mahasi Sayadaw's retreat. Like, you know, these people I'd built up as like the lineage and these enlightened, you know, awakened Buddhist masters. And I went expecting this uh, Shangri-La experience of forest meditation centers. And the reality is I got there and it was loud and there was dogs barking and there was construction and there was loud, uh, you know, I remember being on retreat in India and these loudspeakers everywhere. And it's fucking chaos, loud, annoying, like it was quieter in my apartment in San Francisco than it was at those retreat centers in Burma. <laughs> and what a great teaching that was for me. And, you know, kind of talking to the monks and of like, oh yeah, no, this is, it's just sound. We're just practicing with sound. We're not trying to avoid uh, reality. We're trying to come to peace with reality. And sometimes reality is quiet and enjoy that. And sometimes it's loud and chaotic and be at ease in the midst of that is our goal. Christine. Hi, thank you. Uh, wow, it almost seems like you're answering my questions already. <laughs> But I'll just, uh, I want to share my experience today with meditation because um, it happens this way often. Um, I said, I've been meditating for about a year. I've been practicing with um, uh, Zendo that I attend. And I'm only new to this group refuge in the past week. This is, the group is new for me. So, so I'm practicing meditation today and I sit down on my cushion like no one's home and I have, you know, a good, you know, 20 minutes and I have this, I have dogs <laughs> and my puppy, he's, well, he's almost two. He comes and gets in front of me as he sometimes does and he wants me to throw the toy. And so he's just in my face and he's doing this and he starts, and then he starts barking. So... 
you know, my reaction, he's agitated. So my reaction to that, and sometimes I feel like, oh, I should be able to just experience the sound. But then I think, well, he, I don't know that that's the right thing to do. So I just reach out and I touch him and I soothe him. And I try to make that a part of my practice to just like calm him gently, you know, and then, you know, get through that, you know, and usually it, it doesn't immediately work. Usually it turns into, you know, a little bit of like, ah, ah, you know, that's enough quiet, you know. Um, but that's like the first, that was my first meditation. And then I was really looking forward to this tonight. Um, and my kid had soccer practice that ended at 7.30, I'm on the East Coast. So it was like just perfect because I can pick them up, I can be home, and I can be on this meeting. And of course, last minute, they extend the practice a half hour. So I'm driving, I'm picking him up, I'm trying to get my AirPods in, I'm gonna catch it on my iPhone Zoom, you know, while I'm driving him home, and then it's not working, and it's flipping over to the car speakers, and he's getting in the car, and he's like, oh my God, I don't, you don't seriously mean I'm gonna have to listen to this, mom, you know? And then I'm like, defend, I'm like, I'm picking you up and it was last minute. And he's like, well, you could have told me to get a right. And it's just argument, you know, which is totally the opposite. <laughs> totally the opposite of where I want to be. But that's, and then it's like at home, you know, dinner's in the microwave, I'm going to meditate. So it's just, and that's sometimes just how it is. And it's, it's, that's the way my life is right now. And it's tough to bring it all in and, and it's tough. It's tough because that is the reality right now. So jackhammering out the window, okay, I can handle that. But in your face, like pay attention to me right now, that's the part. And that's the part too, that with my recovery, then I feel bad. I feel, oh my God, I blew it. You know, my, you know, I don't want him to, I don't want to make him feel guilty because I'm going out of my way to pick him up. And then I start feeling bad mom and I want to escape that feeling, you know? Yeah. So that's where it leads those kind of feelings. That's the pain, you know, that why I'm seeking recovery, you know, so I'm not trying to escape that pain with, uh, you know, other things. So that's my question, please. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, welcome to refuge. And, um, you know, fortunate to come in with already having an, an established meditation practice, but welcome to our community and this conversation and, and Sangha of recovering addicts using, using the Dharma. Um, my sense is, one of the things that came to mind uh, is, is just this reframing of Yes, when we can do a formal silent sit like you did in the morning, like, and you can do that and the kids are asleep or whatever's, you know, like uh, the dogs are, when you can do that, do that for sure. And it's important for us to do that and have a disciplined regular practice. But when life, you know, uh, interrupts, <laughs> interferes with um, our silent practice, and it's actually the appropriate thing to do to, pet the dog or put the dog out or um, to attend to the kids, uh, then we try to make that our, our mindfulness practice. As I said just before your, your question, mindfulness is meant to be brought to everything. You, you said something about like putting some food in the microwave, cooking some, um, Thich Nhat Hanh is one of those teachers who's so good at saying like, yes, make doing the dishes a meditation, <laughs> make answering the phone a meditation, bring, a presence, a, a mindfulness to whatever you're doing. Um, I know that in, in Zen, it, it can be very ritual, formal, you know, posture, you need to sit in a certain way. You need, you know, in the, you know, some of some, some Zen traditions are very uh, formal in the ways. Um, my experience of early Buddhism, of, of the Buddha's teaching is that he's like, here's the instructions, but you don't have to be super formal about it. Bring this awareness to every activity. There's nothing outside of your mindful awareness ability. And so if you just sit, you know, just take that pause, 
which is like, rather than this being a burden, this is actually my spiritual practice right now. This is my recovery practice, tending to the children, tending to the dogs, tending to the house, tending to the laundry, tending to, uh, you know, the traffic, whatever it is, so that it's not, I got to hurry home and meditate, but I'm going to bring my meditative awareness to the process of getting home, getting the kids squared away, getting the dogs exercise or whatever it is. And hopefully I can also make time for the formal practice. Um, last thing that I'll say, I don't know if you're aware of this and I don't even know if it's appropriate, but it's on my mind, so I'll say it. The Buddha said that one of the first things that goes away when we start to wake up is, um, he, he talks about four different levels of, of awakening. So one of the first things that goes away is clinging to religious rituals like formal meditation. Now for us, a whole bunch of unenlightened beings, of course we cling to it because it's saving our fucking lives. <laughs> and so we're like, I gotta do this, it's so important. I, you know, um, but he says, actually you'll get to the place where you won't be so attached to it. You'll still do it. Of course we'll still practice. But there's no longer a kind of like, I need to do it the right way at the right time with the right environment. It's a much more relaxed, embodied awareness of life. We can't get there without doing the formal practice. So of course we continue to go to the Zen center, or go to the meetings and go to the retreats and do the things that we do that support our recovery. Does that help? And is there any clarification about what I'm saying to you, Christine? No, thank you. It does okay. help. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Um, last two questions, Daniel. Anyway, so I didn't realize I was muted. Uh, thank you for, for what you said so far. I think I've gotten part of my answer. I. I'd like some guidance in coming to peace with my some of my physical pain. I've got rather extensive arthritis in the back of my neck. I've got some TMJ and this pain that I'm constantly feeling seems to be the precursor for a lot of things in my life that I want to change. My reactionary nature, my anger, my process and behavioral addictions. And I want to let go of that clinging to wishing this pain would go away because it, it only aggravates the pain. It doesn't help the pain to go away, this clinging. And I'd like some guidance in how to come to peace with that pain. Um, well, I feel like the first piece is that you're you're well on your way because you've already identified it and you've set the intention because that's the first, that's the, that's the turning point of just the question. I want to have less aversion and more acceptance. Yes. It's, you know, just having that aspiration is radical because most people don't even know that it's the hatred of the pain. That's the actual problem. <laughs> Okay. Right. So you already know that you already know, oh, there's pain. And then there's my relationship to it. And yeah. you see that we, you, I, all of us have some limitation into how much uh, compassion we're actually able to, we know that compassion is the answer, right? I hear it in your question. Yeah. I know compassion is the answer, acceptance, love. Yeah. I get it. That's the answer, but I can't quite do it yet. We do it through the repetition of, you know, um, slowly moving the, the needle from I hate this to I hate it, but I tolerate it a little bit. I tolerate mm -hmm. it a little bit more. I'm okay. feeling a little bit more merciful towards it. I'm okay. starting to actually care about my own pain until, you know, until the needle moves all the way over to compassion. But okay. that happens through the sitting meditation, the walking meditation, the saying mm -hmm. the the kind of fake it till you make it, where you say to your pain, I care about you, even though the back of your mind is like, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
he totally doesn't but you keep you know you keep saying the compassion phrases you keep saying the loving kindness mm -hmm. and the forgiveness mm -hmm. i don't know if you've it's not in the refuge program but advice that i was given that i found helpful uh going a little off script here is to actually send the loving kindness phrases and the forgiveness phrases directly to your chronic pain okay saying to your pain i forgive you saying to okay. your pain may you be at ease or may i be at ease with the pain okay, okay. um and actually treating it like a um guest okay. an annoying unpleasant to live with roommate okay okay is part of what you're saying is that i learned to accept it i mean you you said it you know that you said it in your question you know you have to accept it okay yeah you because yeah. you live with it yeah yeah, yeah. We, that, you know, that. that's, we have to where it's not going away yeah yeah you know, I mean, the, the Dharma teaches us, yes, avoid avoidable suffering, but there's these levels of pain and aging and sickness and difficulty mm -hmm. that are unavoidable, where compassion and acceptance is our only hope. Okay. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Mike, last one. Thank you, Noah. You talk about um, um, present time, non-judgmental, um, kind, investigative awareness. At work, I've I've been using that a lot, and because of the stressful nature of what I do, I used to have a lot of aversion towards certain certain situations. But now what's happening is I, I have that that investigative awareness and and I'll use compassion, mindfulness, and kindness towards situations that I used to be just completely aversive to, like 100%. And I'm finding when I name aversion, when I name it and, and I acknowledge it and I like bring, like sit next to it, it seems to go away. And the things that used to make me aversive uh, aren't making me aversive anymore. And, and I'm not doing it. That isn't like happening 100% of the time, but it's happening more frequently than it did in the past. And it's, it's just something lately that I've been noticing and, and, and been grateful for. And then when you talked about the sense doors and you talked about you know, there being no I, the, no me, no self. And, you know, there's, there's thoughts and, and there's a mind and, you know, there's hearing and tasting and seeing. And I think out of any, I think out of any belief system or anything I've ever been privy to or, or subjected to or like looked into, that's the most fascinating and powerful and and it makes sense. It makes sense to me that that whole thing. And I, I, I think I brought this up with you before. Um, and I, I, I definitely need to watch this. Like Ramdas has this movie called uh, "Becoming Nobody," and I think that gets at Anada in no self, and um, I guess just having that open awareness and presence and and i don't know i find the more that i do that the less that bothers me and obviously the world's on fire and, and you know we talk about that through discernment like you know the world's always been on fire and and, and everything's fluid and in flux and change is a constant but with with the dharma with the the present time um non-judgmental investigative kind of awareness it's you can sit down in the fire. You can, and and you can change your relationship to it, and and like decrease the suffering, and and then you can have acceptance too. And I feel like mindfulness and acceptance kind of like go hand in hand. So thank you for tonight. It was really good. Thank you. 
Welcome, welcome. Thank you. And uh, it's always so cool to hear when um, you know we're starting to see some progress in our own practice and the changes that are happening. So I'm happy for you. Um, looks like there's a few announcements in the chat. Um, people looking for mentors, people able to mentor. You can put some uh, messages there in the chat. Also, um, I think that there's a link in the chat to um, donations. This group is done weekly, Thursday nights by donations. All of the donations go to support the nonprofit organization that supports refuge recovery. I don't uh, take any um, payment for this. I'm just here to be of service. Um, but please donate to support Refuge Recovery World Services so that we can continue to uh, support the organization and infrastructure and Joseph and um, Rachel and Russ who are uh, on the board are doing so much hard work to organize and support what is happening in refuge recovery. So please um, financially support the organization if you can. Please, please make some donations for that. Um, I also see a note here from Shannon about um, make sure to check out the refuge recovery group and the refuge recovery um, page on, on Facebook uh, and Instagram, those social media, the correct use of social media to connect with the Sangha and uh, offer support and be of service. May any goodness that comes from our meditation practice and our discussion of Dhamma uh, be shared outward in all directions. May each one of us recover and uh, make this form of recovery available to everyone who's interested in wanting it. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Um, next week, we will be doing, what's the preview? The next meditation is feeling tone. We'll start on page 239 next week. Mindfulness of the feeling tone. So important. Everyone's going to get enlightened. See you guys next week. And uh, thanks for being here. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you, Noah. Have a good evening. You, Noah. Good to see you. Good thanks. to see everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Noah. Yeah, man. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Thank Bye. Good night, folks. Yeah, Thanks, Anga. Love you all. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. Cheers. Don't close it out yet. I gotta. I'm opening my other document to copy this email address. Hold on. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org, where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online Refuge Recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.